dedicate the next number home just to get your name of purple praise. Number two, to our beloved um, guest, Paul. Paul is going to be with us here for a few weeks in Florida and Virginia area. So let's all give a word of applause to Paul who is with us.
service, we um, remind you that the scripture lesson is going to take, be taken from the 11th chapter of John, the 11th chapter of John, verse 1 to 6. And as I mentioned earlier before, we went by way of television, we had a visitor all the way from Florida. And I think he's brought some of this wonderful weather to us. So um, we thank Paul for doing that. Let us um, continue in worship as we um, turn in our purple hymnals to 158. 158, come Christians join to sing. Come join um, Christians to sing. First for Judy Bredesen, for the loss of her beloved husband, Howard. The Bredesen served here for a number of years, a number of years ago. I spoke to Judy last week and brought our condolences and these thoughts and prayers by way of all of that um, to the Reverend Howard Bryson family. Purple hymnals number 158, please. Stuck with the Wisconsin. <laughs> 
This G stands for God's
And as we transition and then say, oh, this the United Methodist Church over to the gathering, we just pray that you would give us some grace and truth and understanding and discernment of our future. We thank you, Lord, for our guest this morning, Paul, as he has traveled many miles to be with his family. He's celebrating a couple birthdays this month. We pray that you bless their gatherings and their togetherness. We pray that Paul would have a very enjoyable time as he's visiting here in Minnesota. We thank you for George and Tara. We thank you, Father, that you've blessed the girl of us in many years of marriage. And we thank you, Father, for the eight-page, eight-page group that meets this coming week for the United Methodist. And it's really just making a transition as Reverend Wayne Swanson is retiring. And we pray for his replacement. We pray for some godly wisdom and Fridley United Methodist Church. We pray for our denomination. Pray for our bishop and our district superintendents and the transition and the difficulties that not only the Methodist Church is experiencing, but many other denominations also. The struggles on theology and convictions of the scriptures, Bible, tradition, reason, and experience. We pray that for the Reverend Howard Preston family as he ministered here a number of years ago. We remember and I spent much time with Howard and Judy at annual conferences as they shared their love of all of that. We pray for Judy and Judy's relating to state of shock and turmoil as she seen Howard one day and then was transported. Coma state to the hospital and then was later told that he had had a reaction to a drug that was administered to him in the hospital. <coughs> we pray for all those who are experiencing loss this particular season of the year as we celebrate and we go into a warmer season. We thank you for the transition of Minnesota nights. You know, we seem to have summers three or four months of the year and snow starts flying and we truly enjoy the outdoors. And as you freely, freely given of your grace and your truth and your spirit, we ask, Lord, that you would bless the reading of your word according to John 11, chapter, verses 1 through 6. And as we continue in an attitude of abode, we want to abode in, in your spirit. We pray that God's Holy Spirit dwell within our bodies, that we would recognize that we're the temples, the temples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and no longer does Jesus only inhabit the praises of, of his people in, in sanctuaries, but that we are to be the sanctuary. We are to be the temple of his praise. We are to be witnesses. You've reminded us of that and the prayer that you taught us all to pray the same together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, our scripture lesson is taken in 
John 11 chapter, which is 1 through 6, is my promise and prepared for the moments of the laity that is turned to God's holy word. This is a very critical and pivotal moment in the life of Jesus, in the life and ministry of Jesus on earth. A very close friend of his had experienced death. So we read now how a certain man was ill was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary, you know, as you remember, was the one who anointed the Lord Jesus Christ with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was, was ill. So the sisters sent a message, a message to Jesus, you know, you got to realize this day and age, there's not the expediency of mail and texting and, and technology that we have today, but they sent this message to Jesus, and they said, Lord, Lord, he of whom you love, you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he received his message, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory. Say it with me, God's glory. God's glory. So then, the Son of God may be glorified through it. And accordingly, through Jesus, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and loved Lazarus, after having heard this, that Lazarus was ill, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And God has to add his blessings. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning and welcome back, Mike. Well, thank you very much. Texas was warm, but actually not this warm. Um, Lazarus was in Bethany and was very ill. Bethany was also known as the town of Mary and Martha. Mary was Lazarus' sister. Jesus had also gone to Bethany frequently to celebrate the feast and was around two, two, and the town was about two miles from Jerusalem. This was the Mary that had known the Lord's feet with oil and wet it with her hair. The message regarding the old Lazarus was delivered to Jesus he was in Bethlehem, about 20 miles away, or four days travel. It was not unusual for those that knew Christ to become physically ill. He could heal them, but his primary purpose for them and us was to save them and heal their souls, not just their bodies. The Lord was about four days travel from Lazarus' body, according to John chapter 11, verse 17. This message took about two days to get to Jesus, and would have taken, taken four days for Jesus to get to where Lazarus' body where it was laid in Bethlehem. In John 1 4, we see that Jesus sent the message back to the sister Mary and Martha about his return. The Lord's decision to wait two days for return to Bethany meant he had no plans to immediately go back there because of the promise he had sent back to Martha and Mary. 
This delay was positively shown to everyone, including us, the glory of Lazarus' resurrection. This time we also ensured that all doubt was removed in everybody's mind that Lazarus had indeed died. He was then two for four days. He was dead. In the end, this trip and the delay that Jesus took to get there on purpose shows that God's gracious intentions are only in His time. They're delivered to us in His time. God is not on our calendar, He is in His own calendar. And His grace and mercy will surely abound to all of us. But it's in His time, not our own. Even if it's delayed, that does not mean that God is not listening and your, your request for Him through your prayers will be in denial. When you pray to God for healing or for other things that you have going on in your life, you have to wait and be patient for God's timing for the prayer to be answered. Not yours. It doesn't work on our calendar. Yours on His. Praise God. Thank you. Again, welcome back, Mike. Mike, if you turn that fan, so it's kind of shooting across the front. Yeah. We understand that people that come from Wisconsin, they really know how to understand fans. <laughs> had a lot of fans. Yeah, we, we got a lot of fans in Wisconsin. <laughs> a lot of football fans. Maybe that sponsored them. The Minnesota Vikings was a tremendous, tremendous football quarterbacks. Yes, quarterbacks. Thank you, Gary. Amen. This chapter that, oh, beautiful, I just feel it, that breathes. My giant thermometer always records about 10 degrees warmer in the Volta than it does in the fuel. So, however hot it gets in the fuel, just multiply it by 10 degrees. The chapter that we have now um, begun is one of the most I consider remarkable in the New Testament. And whenever you see um, the portrayal of the, the raising of Lazarus um, by cinema, by television, by CDs and other means, it's almost a pivotal time in the description of the life and ministry in the times of Jesus Christ. For its grandeur and its simplicity, its um, pathos, its sacredness, its omnity, nothing was was ever written like it in the descriptive powers of Jesus Christ. It describes a miracle which is not recorded in the other Gospels. And if you're new here, there's an outline that you can kind of time the message. It's on the back of the bulletin. You can kind of scribble in them, little, little notes in there to kind of put little hangers on, on, on your memory. Mind of the sermon outline. We come to the fact that the raising of Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus is the first response, the important pivotal statement of this scriptural passage. And so, raising of Lazarus um, from the dead, imagine that. Raising a human being from the dead. 
end. And nowhere, nowhere shall we find such convincing proofs, proofs of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's divine power. As God, Jesus makes the grave itself yield, yield to his tenants. We have offered this church over the my 50-year ministry and the last 26 years here at all of it, we've always had tenants that have taken good care of our church. And just in the past week, we become, through the sale of this church, a tenant now. And we need to equally care for this church as those who have rented from us as, as tenants. But we see here a miracle which is recorded and it's convincing proof of our Lord's divine power. As God, Jesus makes the grave yield itself, the tenants. Nowhere shall we find such striking illustrations of our Lord Jesus Christ's ability to, to sympathize, sympathize with his people. As a, a human being, like you and I, as a man, Jesus can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Such a miracle, well, became the end of such a ministry. The high end of Jesus. It was, it was meet and it was right at the victory at Bethany. It was a victory at Bethany. I've led groups in Israel and, and as I entered into Bethany, I, I'm sure that that People and biblical scholars and people that read the Bible regularly understand that this miracle on Bethany must have turned, turned the community upside down and right side up. And it closely preceded the crucifixion at Calvary. These verses teach us that true Christians, and the emphasis is upon true Christians, may be sick. We may be sick, we may be ill, as well as others are. We read that Lazarus of Bethany was one in whom Jesus, Jesus loved, like Jesus loves you and I in the midst of our sickness and our infirmities and our challenges. And he was a brother to well-known, well-known women. Yet Lazarus was sick, even, as the scripture says, unto death he was, he was sick. And the Lord Jesus, who had power over all the disease, could know, no doubt had prevented his illness, Lazarus, if he had sought fit. But Jesus did not do so. Jesus allowed Lazarus to be sick and, and pain and weary and to languish, to suffer like any other. We may not truly understand, we get various interpretations on why it has occurred. But the lesson is one which ought to be deeply graven in our memories as followers of Jesus Christ. We live, we live in a world full of disease and we live in a world full of death. When I was much younger, I could never quite understand why so many of those that were older than me would turn first and foremost to the obituaries. But now I find that when I get my local paper, I 
from Eagle Bend, Minnesota, I turned almost immediately to the pictures and read the names of those who I've loved long and will miss now. And, and we suddenly realize the mortality of our life, the older that we become. It was meet and right that this victory occurred in Bethany. Yet Lazarus was sick, even unto death. The Lord Jesus, who had that power over illnesses and sicknesses, as he taught them. And the lesson is one which ought to be deeply graven in our memories. Living in a world full of sickness and disease and death, we are sure to need the faith and the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ and in his church. Sickness is by very nature of things can never be anything but trying, trying to our flesh and trying to our faith and our blood. Our bodies and our souls are, are, are strangled and strangely linked together and that which vexes and weakens the body can hardly fail to vex the mind and the soul. But sickness, we must always remember, is no sign that God is displeased. That God is displeased. There was an early teaching in the early church in Judaism and Israel, and, and particularly in the oldest book of the Bible. It's not the first book in the Bible, but it's considered one of the oldest books in the Bible, and it's not necessarily chronologically recorded, but the book of Job and the persecution that Job experienced. But sickness, sickness, we must always remember is no sign that God is displeased with us. It may and may more, it's generally sent for the good of our souls. And at the time, we little realize that it tends to draw us, draw our affections away from the world, away from the world and to direct our affections to, to the things that are above and to the things that are spiritual to the Lord Jesus Christ always it tends to draw our affections and it, send, it sends us to our Bibles it sends us to our prayer closets it sends us to our knees in prayer and teaches us to pray better it helps to, to prove our faith and, and our patience and shows us the real value the real value of our hope in Christ and the value of it should be placed on our souls and our spirits, less on our bodies. It reminds us the times that we are not to live always, that we are mortal, perishable human beings, and, and the tunes and the, the, the trains that are, trains our hearts for, for greater things and more for the utmost in God's glory. Then let us be patient and cheerful when we are laid aside by, by illness. Let us spend more time in prayer and praise for the times that we are so well off. Let us, let us believe that the Lord Jesus loves us when we are sick, are sick no less than when we are well. And these verses teach us, secondly, that Jesus Christ is the Christian's best friend in our time of need. 
We read that when Lazarus was sick, his sisters, his beloved sisters at once sent to Jesus and, and laid the matter before Jesus in the course of action before Jesus. Beautiful, touching, and simple was the message that they sent. They did not ask Jesus at once to come or to work a miracle and command the disease to depart. They only said, Lord, Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. And they left the matter there in full belief that Jesus would do what was best. And here was one of the true faith and statements of humility of all the saints through all ages. Here was the gracious submission, the submission of his will that we need to submit to the will of God. The servants of Christ, and as you and I are called to be servants of Christ, to abode in his presence, in every age and climate, well do well to follow this excellent example, exemplified in Jesus Christ. No doubt when those whom we love are sick, we are to use diligently every reasonable means for their recovery. Every medical reason, every means of prayer and fasting for their recovery, we must spare no pains to obtain the best medical advice. I know my eldest daughter was a retired flight surgeon from the U.S. Air Force, currently serving part-time and in general in St. Luke's, believes in prayer, believes in healing, but also believes in all the medical terminology, medical practice of today. We must assist nature in every possible manner to fight a good fight against the enemy. But in all our doing, we must never forget that the best and the ablest and the, the wisest of all helpers is in heaven. Is in heaven. At God's right hand, interceding for you and I. Like, like the afflicted Job, the afflictions of Job, our first action must be to fall on our knees in prayer and fasting and worship. Like Hezekiah, we must spend our matters and spread our prayers before the Lord. Like the holy sisters at Bethany, Mary and Martha, we must send up a prayer to Christ. And let us never forget that in the hurry and the excitement, the excitement of our feelings that none can help us like Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed. And that Jesus is merciful, that Jesus is loving, and Jesus is understanding and gracious. And these verses teach us thirdly, thirdly, that Jesus loves all who are true Christians. True Christians. If you hear a neighbor's dog, it's not a bark, but he's saying amen. He's resonating to the words that I'm sharing. We read that Jesus loved. Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary and, and Lazarus. The characters of these three good, true followers were to have been somewhat different personalities. You see those characters that you 
understand and study their, their profiles, their characteristics and scriptures of Martha. Martha, we are told in a certain place that she was careful. She was careful, very deliberate, and she was troubled. Jesus said about many things. While Mary was one who sat, who sat at Jesus' feet and listened and heard it said every word that Jesus shared. Or while Mary are told nothing of Lazarus other than his resurrection of Lazarus, we are told nothing very distinctive of all, yet all these were loved. They were loved by Jesus, such as you and I are loved by Jesus. They all longed to be in his family, and they all loved them all. He loved them all. And we must very carefully hear and bear this in mind and form our estimate of Christians. You heard me earlier say that we had disaffiliated ourselves from the larger body of United Methodists. We're kind of returning to the form of theology of the United Brethren, of the Global Methodists, of the Wesleyan Church. We haven't quite decided what we're doing, but in the days and the weeks that follow, we will be considered all of that church, community church, the names that we incorporated with. And there may not be too many changes other than um, the ownership of the church is now on and the responsibilities of upkeep is in the hands of the gathering. We're going to be kind of co-tense with Jay Hunt, the Twin Cities House of Prayer, and, and the Methodist Church, or the Altbed Church. Changes will occur. We have to realize that as ownership and through the sale of property, and then if you've ever sold a house or property, you can't keep one room for memory's sake. When you sell something, it becomes the ownership of someone else. And we trust and adhere to that the gathering will take as good care or better care of the church that we will continue to worship in currently in House of Prayer, Good Cities, House of Prayer. We must very carefully bear this in mind in forming our estimate of other Christians, we must never forget that there are varieties in character. As a captain, Colonel in the Air Force for 27 years, I served some 47 different denominations, but I was known as this chapter, not necessarily United Methodist, but as a very generic Christian. A Christian. We must never forget that there are varieties in character and that the grace of God does not cast all believers into one and the same, same mold. And when admitting fully that the foundations of our Christian character are always the same, we need to trust in scripture, tradition, reason, experience. John Wesley said that the four fundamentals of his faith, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, as he broke away from the Anglican Church, the Church of his birthright, the Church of his father, and his 
brothers and sisters, John and Charles Wesley started the Methodist movement, which later became, in 1968, the merger of the EUB, the Evangelical United Brethren, in 1968, the Methodist and the Brethren United to form the United Methodist Church. Admitting fully that the foundations of Christian character are always the same, and that all God's children should be called to repent, that all God's children should be, be required to believe and to be holy, prayerful, scriptural loving. We must keep this always in mind. We must not under undervalue others because they are not exactly, exactly like ourselves. The flowers in a garden, the flowers in our gardens may differ differently. In different wide, and yet the gardener feels interest in all. The children of a family may be curiously unlike one another, and yet the parents, you and I as parents, we we like and we love all our children. It's just so with the Church of Christ, there are degrees of grace and varieties of grace that but the but the least, the weakest, the feeblest disciples are all loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then let no believer's heart fail because of their infirmities. And above all, let no believer dare despise and undervalue our brother or sister in Christ. Fathers, we bow in prayer it goes by way of television and radio and YouTube and Facebook and all other means of communication. It's, it's been kind of a grieving process. Change is always difficult. The older it seems like you become. But we want to be faithful to Scripture as we see faithfulness in Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And just as maybe the world looks upon us as somewhat rigid, we look at them as permissive, progressives, maybe going a little bit too old for us. These verses teach us that, that Christ knows best at what time to do anything for his people. We read that when Jesus is heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus abode. And we need to abode too. Jesus abode two days still in the same place where he was. In fact, Jesus purposely delayed his journey and did not come to Bethany until Lazarus had been four days in the grave. No doubt he knew well what was going on, but he never moved till the time came which he saw was best. And for the sake of the church and the world, for the good of friends and enemies, Jesus kept away. The children of God must constantly school their minds, and we need to school educate our minds to learn the great lesson home for us. Nothing so helps us to bear patiently the trials of life as an abiding and avoiding conviction of the perfect wisdom by which everything around us is managed. Let us try to believe not only that all that happens to us is well done, but that it's done in the best manner by the right instrument and at the right time. We are all naturally impatient and in the day of trial, we are apt to say, like Moses, when 
ones who were sick and Moses' presence, heal her now, Lord. Heal her, we beseech you. Numbers 12, 13. We forget that Christ is too wise a physician to make any mistakes. It is the duty of faith to say, My times are in thy hand. Do with me as thou wilt, how thou wilt, what thou wilt, and when thou wilt. Not my will, but thine be done. The highest degree of faith is to be able to wait, sit still, not complain. And let us turn from this passage with a settled determination to trust Christ entirely with all the concerns of this world, both public and private. Let us believe that Jesus, by whom all things were made at first, is he who is managing all with a perfect wisdom. The affairs of kingdoms, families, and private individuals are all alike overruled by him. He chooses all the portions of his people. And when we are sick, it is because he knows it is to be for our good. When he delays coming to help us, it is for, for some wise reason. Some wise reason. And the hand that was nailed to the cross is too wise and loving to smite without a need to be or keep us waiting for relief without a cause. And by way of television, by way of radio, and YouTube, and all means of communication, we thank you for the prayer support of those by way of all means of communication that they'll continue to pray for us as we continue to minister in whatever way possible. And as we close, as we close, close for almost by 50 years of ministry, we close, close with the ABCs of salvation a, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and things we've done and left undone. B, we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and C, we need to confess Him as our Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me this closing prayer? Dear Jesus, I thank you for your love for me, for dying for me. Your body was broken, your blood was shed. Forgive my sins, come into my heart and mind. Empower me by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we wait upon you for this morning's offering, as the ushers come forward this morning, take up the offering. If you would join me in our bulletins to our offertory prayer, would you unite with me? God of all creation, we offer our gifts in gratitude this morning. Not just for what you do in our lives, but for who you are in our lives. You are with us in the person of the Father, the God of us. You come to meet us as a son, as God beside us. You empower us to do the work of kingdom building by the Holy Spirit, God within us, providing strength and wholeness that we will never find our own way. May these gifts tools that made the transformation of the world of God. We pray in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If you return with me now to our offertory hymn, When We Are Living in Purple Hymnals, number 356, prayers for the Reverend Jack and Julie Bender, in Jesus' name. Amen.
mighty and destroying God. We have been living through some tough, difficult days as churches and as individuals. We experience days when we rise, wondering if we will make it through one more day. Whether the church will survive for another generation and we feel like those dry bones in the valley. As we offer our tithes and our offerings, help us to hear the words of hope, restoration, completion, the prophet shares, not just with our ears, but with our hearts. May it call us back to life and service, out of the graves of despair in which we have been buried ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I stand in the pulpit, and as I came to the front of the church this morning, I thought our beloved former secretary's husband, Ed Schultz, was sitting in the front pew. Paul, do you realize that you have a twin in this area? His name is Ed Schultz. <laughs> but we welcome you to our worship service, Paul. Kathy, did you want to take us off, or Chris? Well, I just wanted to mention first that we are meeting in the lounge afterwards. We'll have some light refreshments. Everybody's invited to join us. And we will be having a little meeting just to update everybody on what's going on. So with the church and the, the sale of disaffiliation, we are now officially disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church. And we are now um, renters of this building and not owners. So the sale went through. And so, let's just close with spirit, spirit of the living God, number 393 in our purple emblems. Yeah. 